Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. I'm Rob McLeod, joined as always by Brendan O'Leary. Good day, Brendan. How are you now? Good day, mate. Nice to see you. So we've had a bit of a summer break. We've been off for a while. It's been a month or two since we've actually uploaded an episode, but we are going back to work. We have our upcoming counselor-centered season of education, counselor-centered education season coming up where we dive into the spiral dynamics or Frederick Lou Green stage of school development, looking at sociocratic approaches to schools and schools that center around meaning, consent, all of these kinds of things. Excited to get into the nuts and bolts of that. But first, we thought we would discuss why we've had a bit of an extended break, what we're working on, uh, what's emerging and what we've got coming up. And that is a book so far focused on the three types of school, which is essentially the core of this podcast. Mm. So you're, Robert, you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I've been chipping in with some ideas, but you're you're working hard. Rob, how, how are you finding it so far? How far are you into this book anyway? Rough draft is done. Now, that was the easy part, I must say. That, I got up to about 40,000 words of just the things that we already have been saying on this podcast, putting them all in one place in a Google document. That phase took about two and a half weeks or so to get there. Now the real work begins though. And you know, just in my own personal journey, done a lot of writing here and there, taught a lot of folks how to write over the years, but actually writing something is a totally different beast. And imagining kind of the avatars of the audience of who you're writing to and, and trying to find the ways to make the writing convey the value of this model is the really important part because yeah, the writing piece, sure, it's fun for me, but the intention of spending the time investing all of this effort to creating a book about the three types of school ultimately is in service of the readers to apply this to their schools, to enhance communication, and to gain the benefits of alignment when school structures align with school values and communities of practice. And uh, yeah, so... Turning the corner, doing the hard work now to write a version that will that will go to a professional editor by uh, early December. And tough to know an exact release date at this time, but I would say the optimistic timeline would probably be spring 2024. And probably the more realistic is probably late spring, early summer 2024. Oh, quite the ambitious scheduler. That's not that, uh, that's not that far in the future. Is it really? Not considering that there's going to be many, many other big shakeups along the way. But you kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, how the book will be used. But but who specifically are you writing it for? And uh, what are some of the ways that they might be enticed to dig in? Yeah, so there's so many things that we talk about on this podcast. And there are so many applications for this idea of the three types of school, looking at the expert, the coach and counselor approach. And I think there could be a separate book made up for teachers, and I think there could be a separate one made up for parents. But this first attempt at writing a book is focusing on school leaders. And those are probably primarily principals, vice principals, heads of school, possibly superintendents, but also those teachers in every school who wanting to make change or bring initiatives into their school, this is who it is, who it is being written for. And yeah, I suppose the enticing part is just we're going with this idea that this three types of school, it's, it's not something new 
that you have to start doing. It's not a new practice to bring into your school. We're positing the idea that this is already happening in your school. The influence of the three types of schools is already active and already pulling the strings of essentially everything that's happening in your day-to-day world as a school leader. And this book is intended to help you better navigate what is already taking place in your school. It's helping you to navigate the different value systems that are already active in your school. And it's helping you to look at the organizational structure of your school and to see if it's a match for the kind of teaching and the kind of communities of practice that you want in your school. And we're basically presenting this idea that, hey, there are three types of school. And that implies three different types of organizational structures for how you organize the school. And those three types of school also are connected to three ideas about the roles of the teacher or what good teaching is, and that each of those organizational structures has a role for the teachers or the idea of what that good teaching is. And if you can match the structure and that approach to teaching, that role for teachers, if you find the two that are a match, then that's what works best in schools. And when there's a misalignment, you know, it can feel like a never-ending tug of war and a lot of time and energy and and relationships can get, you know, used up navigating kind of when you're when you're straddling between two or three of these types of school. Yeah. I mean, sounds great, sounds really interesting, but I've already listened to like three episodes of this podcast, Rob. Why why would I go out there and spend twelve bucks or however much it's gonna be? Uh 25 US dollars on this when I could just listen for free to to your wonderful podcast, episode 100. Yeah, you might not need to spend it. All the ideas are there in our 100th episode. But I would say that what the book allows us to do that that single episode doesn't is to dig a little bit deeper into some of the case studies, uh, some examples that have just kind of been born out of your experience, my experience in schools and be able to take the time to dissect some of these so that a reader could develop their own skills of analysis to to notice these three types of school. And actually, I was just writing a section yesterday talking about this idea that part of this book, what it's offering is trying to distill down these three types to like their core essence, the way you would with like herbs. You get something down to its core essence, and you have like the essential oil of something. And that you really get a sense for that fragrance or those the taste of these three types, the expert, the coach, and the counselor, so that you're able to detect them across any context. And I think you can get the idea of it from our podcast, but I think this takes it to a much deeper level where you can begin to make practical day-to-day uh, connections and associations with what we're talking about. Whereas our podcast, at least the 100th episode, stays a little bit more on the abstract level. This is getting more into the practical the nuts and bolts, and we'll also include some concrete steps for what to do about this once you start to see it in your school. Yeah. So loaded question. After I finish reading this book, Mac, have, have I cracked it? Do I know how to fix my school or make it the greatest school in the world once I get to page 125? Yes. I sold. <laughs> I'd like two copies. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to all of your friends too. The more serious, yeah, the more honest answer is 
I think you are in a much better position to do that because this will help you to clarify your goals within relationship to these three types of school and help you establish goals that are at the fundamental level of what you're trying to do at, in schools and not just on the surface level. That might seem like a little bit of a abstract answer from this point, but yeah, help me out. What do you think the values of this would be, Brennan? Maybe I'm too close to it at the moment. No, I I, I think you're you're there. From my understanding, you know, the the podcast sets out in, in fairly simple form of a, like thirty minutes or so. Like this is kind of the the big ideas of what you need to know about these three types of school. And then if you dig into some of the episodes, you'll get you know kind of the sprawling discussions on certain aspects, whether it's assessment or leadership. But if you, when the book's done, it's a unpacking of these three types and how to recognize them and how to navigate between them. And if you're someone who's working as a leader in a, in a school that wants to be more counselor centered, but you're working with a group of staff that are leaning more towards coach, how can you navigate that and respect everybody's perspective and trying to build something that takes the best from all of those elements. This is an interim step that I guess then eventually takes you to, you know, what we've got in the survey, which is where you really get into the nuts and bolts. And you, you don't want to get to that stage really till you've got an understanding of the three types of school. You know, if you get right into the nuts and bolts of making action plans based on all the different aspects of school, the the environment, the resources, the culture, but you don't really have an understanding of the big three types of school, the coach, counselor, and expert model. Yeah, maybe you're not going to be able to put together something quite specific. So for me, the book is kind of like, all right, I got a deeper understanding of these three types. Now I'm ready to you know, kind of be a lot more specific and make something that's more like an action plan. And, you know, that could be something that's done independently, or it could be done through maybe consultancy with it, with someone who understands the system, maybe even yourself, Rob. Yeah, I think this is setting up, this is setting the table for work that can be done. If you're in a leadership position, you are tasked with creating school-wide action plans and balancing those budgets to some degree and human resources and uh, making some very important decisions about how the school is going to operate. And knowing that an expert-centered school, which centers on ideas of security and duty and tradition and moral instruction, might be a perfect setting for your context. You might take a little bit from the coach and the counselor, but you might be really, you know, really feeling that your school should embody that expert mindset. Well, you know, put your ideas uh, into words, good high resolution image of it. Okay, this is one way to visualize school. There's many ways. There's many, many frameworks out there for thinking about school, but this one and it's essentially based on a sociological theory called spiral dynamics, which we don't explicitly talk about too much in the podcast, but that's your background and that's where you've, you've come from. So yeah, just out of interest, how does this tie into those bigger ideas? Well, I think also what I'd add to what you're saying about this model helping you to see your school, it also helps you to communicate more effectively by providing terminology that was missing. I think when a lot of school leaders come in contact with their ideas, they say, well, I, I kind of knew this, but I didn't really have like the words for it, the way you're describing it. But yeah, I, I kind of saw these differences 
you know, between these three different value systems of the expert, the coach, the counselor, but I, I wouldn't have been able to put this into words. And I think that's a really critical part here, a really crucial piece of what our model and what this book will bring is to say, yeah, well, here's some terminology for something that is already happening. And I think it could be used as a communication toolkit for schools to introduce this kind of vocabulary in order to be able to talk not only about our differences, but to talk about what matters. And, you know, I put together a, a little video that'll go up on our social media in the next day or so this morning, which talked about a practice we speak about frequently, which is like the five wise activities. So like someone in your school has an idea, says, you know what, our school should be doing this. And you go, okay. But that first communication of that is very much on the surface level. Oh, you want to have more student-led work happen. You want more self-direction, more student self-direction. Okay. All three types of school, all three types of teachers possibly are into that. The expert, the coach, and the counselor. But the expert, the coach, and the counselor are each going to have their definition of what self-directed learning means. You know, without getting too much in the details, the expert probably imagines self-directed learning more to be about, you know, the students will continue to follow the rules and meet expectations even when I'm not right there overseeing them. And for the coach, it's more something like, well, we've already picked the the scope or the framework of what the students will study into, but they have choice over, you know, the product and the process. And then the counselor is going to say, well, yeah, student self-directed, of course, they can negotiate every piece of the who, what, where, when, why, how of what we're doing. So even though all three said self-directed student learning, each of them meant something different. And I keep coming back to this quotation of, Communication isn't what you meant or what you said. Communication is what the under, other person understood. So I think that is one piece of the communication puzzle. But then the second piece is this idea of, yeah, these underlying values and that the expert has this underlying value for that security and certainty. The coach has this underlying value for opportunity and the counselor has this underlying desire for meaning. So again, you bring up something like, hey, we need more self-directed student learning happening in our school. And one of the practices you can do is to say, oh, you know, why is it important for our school to have more self-directed student learning? And, you know, they provide an answer. And maybe already it's a dead giveaway, which are the three values they're speaking to. But usually by the third why, the fourth, taking what their answer was and reframing it, you get to one of those three. Either, well, we need to do this for the sake of security and certainty. We need to do this for the sake of opportunity, we need to do this for the sake of meaning. And once you know that, and you're able to see and hear what that other person values, you're able to speak to that value. And not in some kind of manipulative way, but rather, oh, I know now what matters to you. And maybe we are able to do this thing the way you are wanting to, or maybe this suggestion you're bringing forth needs to be adapted in some way to better fit our context. But as I'm communicating that to you, I have the interpersonal or the social skill to be aware of, oh, although I'm coming from maybe a more opportunity-centered justification for something, you're coming more from the security certainty place, I can still speak to your certainty and security and speak to my opportunity. Because as soon as I fail to speak to your core value of security and certainty, like we're lost, we're disconnected mm -hmm. on some level, or there's that tug of war of like, no, 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 this, you know, this is a, you know, whatever the topic is 
follow the route down. This is actually about opportunity. No matter what the topic is, follow the route down. This is about security and certainty. Whatever the topic is, no, this is about meaning. When we can see that our schools are already filled with a diversity of people who value one of these three things, we can actually, we can then reinterpret a lot of the conflict and a lot of the harmony happening in our school to see that we're either meeting or not meeting these core values. And I think this book hopes to develop the capacity to see and engage and communicate across these value structures. One thing we hear a lot from people who first encounter this idea is, we're doing all of them. And, and of course, that's, as you just explained, on the surface level, whatever it is you're doing, it could be informed by any of the values. So you could be doing a lot of the actions that you think represent the coach or the expert or the counselor-centered model. And I guess this book's trying to set out that, yeah, you, you've got elements of all of these happening, but you're definitely favoring one or you favor one that you're not currently doing, especially if you're frustrated, if you're a leader who's in a school that's maybe not fully in alignment with you. And then it begin to understand, oh, actually, this is why can I move the school in this direction? Or does that not really make sense? Because the context of the school fits better you personally would like the school to be more coach-centric. But the context, when you really dig into it and look at the student body and the, the place, the time, and the culture, you might acknowledge that, oh, I don't want to take this too far down my own path to a coach-centered school because an expert-centered school does is really a good fit. But can I take the best elements? So I guess it's like getting past that idea that, we're doing them all. Um, which one do we want to do? And how can we do that well? So yes, typically, as soon as people hear this go, well, I'm a, I'm a bit of all three of these. And I kind of have two answers on the flow chart <laughs> in my response to that now. And this might be messy because I'm still trying to work at the exact way toward this. But the first answer is similar to what you said. Yeah, you are probably doing a mix of all these. I think just education as a human-centered endeavor we do have these three sides to us. And of course, throughout a school year, I can see there are times I look more like the expert in my classroom. There are times I look more like the coach and there are times I look more like the counselor. So yes, you do all of them. But we are saying there is one that you prioritize. There's probably one you do most frequently. There's probably one you do best. And there's probably the one that you lean on or rely on the most. And the more you begin to introspect and reflect on this, you'll see that, oh yeah, no, there is definitely one, one clear winner. And the second piece to that answer is I think when people are self-reporting, we get into this distortion that can happen. And this goes back to the little rant I had <laughs> four minutes ago in this podcast, that each of the three interprets terms through their own lens or through their own bias. So for example, an expert teacher who's actually valuing having their own professional judgment, their own autonomy, their own pedagogical discernment to make the calls of what they want to do. When they hear the coach describe their coach approach as, oh, we're a sh we have a shared team approach, or they hear the counselor talking about, oh, well, our school is a team an equitable team where the, you know, administration, the teachers, students, community, parents, you know, we're all on equal playing field. Well, of course, the expert will say, well, we also have a team. So yeah, like, I'm part of a team, I really value the people that I'm with, we're like family. Well, that is true. 
But that's not the kind of team that a coach is talking about when a coach uses team. And so it's not the kind of team that the counselor approach is using when they use the word team. So again, this idea that what we're attempting to do here is provide a communication tool that we can see that all three of these will use the same vocabulary, but have fundamentally different definitions for what those words mean within the context of education. That's tricky. It is tricky. I hear it's based on some kind of sociological <laughs> tool. We're blanking on the name right now. Spiral dynamics. Yeah. What connections now, do you want? Don't don't keep that secret. So the podcast we started five years ago is your idea. You have a background in what is called integral theory. And this idea of spiral dynamics is one element of that. And we have definitely taken parts of the spiral dynamic theory and used it to inform these three types of school and um, developed by you know people who have a, a deep understanding of sociology and so that gives credence potentially to some people listening to this but it's like oh what did this, this idea is great these three schools things but yeah did you just pull it out of thin air or is it just something you came across during your teaching i think it's worth acknowledging that it didn't just come from our experience in teaching but it is built on a a sociological theory. Yeah, it's built on a sociological theory. And you and I have added our own connections to what the theory talks about, specifically within the context of school. So the model of spiral dynamics, or the integral stages, which is used in Frederick Lelou's Reinventing Organizations book, which was a huge one, almost 10 years ago now talking about different stages that organizations go through whether the organization is a business or an NGO or a, or a school. Um, so we've taken those, those frameworks, but they were never written explicitly about school. They were the frameworks of the stages models or, or spiral dynamics were more discussing general waves of stages that organizations and people can go through. We've taken that and then we've spent the last five years kind of filling in the blanks of, well, what does that mean specifically in an educational context? And I would argue that you and I have more approached it from the idea of, okay, we've had our lived experience in school and we've kind of broken this down and we could see how this fits with this model and they seem to reinforce each other. We didn't walk in with the idea of here's a spiral dynamics model and we need to make this fit to school. I would say we've done the opposite, which is we've had our own experience reflected on things and we see ways that this could fit the model. I would say also, though, um, for people who are maybe familiar with Frederick Lou's book, for example, he does talk about some schools, which uh, he argues are at even a stage beyond what we are talking about with our three types. And hint, hint, there will be discussion of a fourth type of school, which completely <laughs> undermines the title of the book, The Three Types of School, where we will talk about the possibility of, of integrating the best of all three types of school. But I think we are also bringing a few new things that haven't been discussed yet. And we're actually pushing back a little bit on both the Lou's model and even Sprout Dynamics a little bit to say, yeah, within the educational context, we see the way that this looks in school slightly differently than some of the ideas that have attempted to present this already. Uh, and it'll be interesting to introduce those out into the the wider world to get feedback on that as well. You know, I'm a skeptic and you, you're, you're skeptical of these ideas when we first come across them. And it's kind of, are these theories, do they match real world experience? And so I guess 
for me, you know, trying out these for five years and looking at how these kind of fit in the schools I've worked in, the people I work with, you know, they're they're pretty good models for kind of, like you say, communicating. It's not like we're saying everyone fits perfectly into this model and this is a, a watertight theory on exactly how school should be. It's more that when you do begin to analyze and look at schools and talk to people, they do broadly often fit into one of these three approaches, especially when you read the fleshed out versions of what a counselor approach looks like, someone who values inclusion and values uh, meaning in, in teaching and learning specifically. Because I think the point you touched on earlier was about, you know, which one do you lean towards and what's your bias? And the thing is that a lot of times in school, there's a big crunch on resources, time and energy. And it's not insignificant to say that, well, okay, there's these three ideas and I'm leaning more towards this one. You know, context informs that a lot, but our own personal preferences inform it majorly as to how we decide to solve a problem. And, you know, if you're a teacher, a school leader, on any given day, you're hit with 50, 100 problems, some small, some big. And this is informing you already. So, you know, having that model, having that visual model in your head, but realizing that it is only a model, you know, the map is not the territory as as we often hear said. Um, and so it can guide you and help you. Okay, I'm in this situation now. What do I value? Time and, and, and resources are short. Do I value the duty and tradition of this and the, and the moral teachings? Or do I value the opportunity and the, the collection of evidence and data and, and transparent frameworks or, or do i value uh, the inclusion and the well-being and the meaning at this point for me you know as a skeptic take everything with a pinch of salt but if something seems to hold true you know be informed on that thing and, and there's, there's so many books that are informing you know one thing is there you know hopefully i'm not bigging up your competition here rob but uh, the culture map as a book you know is is one that uh, i read a few years ago Erin Meyer. And, and that had a, a massive impact on how I looked at schools. And I read one a few years ago called Third Culture Kids, which is about children that have lived in multiple cultures and places as my children have and the students I teach. And, and that just informed my worldview. But, you know, similar to our kind of model here, I didn't walk away from that thinking I've cracked it. I've got exactly what I need here. It's like, it's another piece to help me visualize and understand how schools work. But I do think it's powerful. I mean, that's why I've stuck with it personally over the last five years. And we've dug deeper and deeper. And, and it does seem to hold true. I don't think we're doing mental gymnastics to make these things fit. It seems like, okay, we look at something like assessment in school. It does seem to quite neatly match our experiences when we say oh if we're going to do some assessment and find out how our kids have done how would an expert teacher approach this maybe they would have a written test and maybe they would approach it in this specific way they would we're still humans we're still living in very complex environments but these uh, models can help us to understand yeah and that last point is something that i mentioned early on in the book which is this is a model that we hope helps to expand your ability to communicate, connect, and contribute in your school. This is not a model to reduce people and put people into boxes. This is intended to expand, not contract you within your school. The danger with any kind of model. The, yeah, or steering clear of that danger. 
Oh, definitely, Stephen. Well clear. There's no way anybody could read this book and possibly do that. There'll be a warning sticker on the front. Do not reduce people to numbers or simple concepts. Says the guy who started a few minutes ago by saying, yeah, it's not what you said. It's not what you meant. It's what the others understood. Well, I hope others <laughs> understand this is to help enhance and deepen communication, not, not reduce people to simple things. Use it to inform you. Think critically always. Think about the complexity. And this is a way to help yeah, expand what we could be. And that's where I guess the fourth type of school does begin to come in because they care. that's the idea there, isn't it? That you are expanding the possibilities of what each of these types could be. And once you reach a certain level of expansion, begin to be informed on, on a, a conscious level of how all three are operating inside the real world. Agreed. Yeah. And then I think we need to lay out the specifics of all three before we can have a serious conversation about how do you integrate the best of these three and move flexibly and humbly between them. Yeah. What it isn't is just saying, I do all three all the time. And so uh, let's hope that uh, through reading Rob's fantastic unpacking of these ideas that uh, a fire will be lit inside of us all and we can take that into our schools. <laughs> Going a bit over the top, aren't I? Speaking of the hearts to, and minds now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to the schools that we work in, that we care about, that mean a lot to us, just with with some additional tools in our tool belt to help navigate and uh, and support everybody and and, and uh, make uh, the schools uh, exactly what we want them to be and uh, what they they could be. Yeah, and if you are interested in the process of this. You can follow us on Instagram, Reinventing Education podcast on Instagram. Um, we'll probably pass along a few updates in the coming months here on the podcast as the book comes along and gets closer to, to being a physical entity. And uh, yeah, you mentioned it earlier, the survey. If uh, these kinds of ideas interests you, interest you and you haven't already done so, in the description to this episode, there's a link to a survey, take you less than three minutes to do that'll help you to identify the the mix of the three types of school that are present in your in your current school. I think that's plenty, Rob. I think that's uh, wet some appetites, hopefully. Better keep your door locked till we they'll be beating it down. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brendan. No, good luck. Good luck, Robert. You're working hard and uh, I appreciate all uh, the effort you're putting in to bring this thing into reality. So oh. uh as I've said many times, I think you and I have written the ideas of this book over the last five years, and it's just me sitting down using my fingers to try and type it out in those Google documents at this point. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob.